Welcome to the Fellow Traveler Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Lesperance. Listen in as I host humble discussions exploring the diverse expressions of Christian spirituality, tradition, and beyond. Enjoy, and safe traveling. Hello, my fellow travelers. Thanks for listening in. I've really appreciated all your support. If you'd like to support me further, consider becoming a patron on my Patreon. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash morning sun underscore fellow traveler or click the link in the show notes. Thank you so much. I love you and safe traveling. All right. Welcome back to the fellow traveler. I have an old friend now. I mean, mm-hmm. man, we've known each other for, for a while, at least right, 10, 10 years, years. Yeah. over 10 years now. Sam Masonette. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Sam. <laughs> <laughs> welcome sam um sam masonette is at uh one of the associate pastors at my the church that me and my family currently attends called faith church in auburn massachusetts central massachusetts and you were recently ordained is that right yep back in june 2022 right? yeah june 2022 yeah wow that's pretty wild that's cool yep nice so and um sam you're originally from puerto rico that's right born and raised in puerto rico until i was about just just about turning 13 when i came to massachusetts and been here ever since just going to puerto rico for visiting purposes since then yeah it is really interesting how um sure we'll talk about this a little bit but like kind of like the I know the dynamic, the cultural dynamic between Puerto Rico and the United States or political dynamic as well. How a lot of people tend to have to leave for job purposes or economic purposes or maybe just for family purposes too. But is, is Puerto Rico, is there still a lot of people there? Like it's still pretty well populated? Yes, but you're right in saying that a lot of people um, leave because after all, it is an island, and when you overpopulate an island, then it makes sense. There are less opportunities um, mm. for jobs or, or, or stuff like that. So uh, there might be more Puerto Ricans in the mother island than, than in Puerto Rico itself. Um, you know, really? New York, New York and, and I believe the latest um, exodus came from, uh, from Puerto Rico to South Carolina. A lot really? of people went to South Carolina once Hurricane Maria happened. Well, a lot of people that um, the state of South Carolina said, "Hey, come here. We got we got opportunities for you." A lot so, of job opportunities for sure. Wow. Yeah, and That's certainly Florida, certainly Florida as well. I mean, all mm-hmm. over the place, but those tend to be the, <laughs> the the those those places where they 
they tend to gravitate towards. Yeah. I have to wonder what were they thinking coming to New England <laughs> in the cold? Listen, man, I still ask myself that question every day. Like, what am I still doing? You could have gone anywhere. Anywhere, right? And my parents chose to come here. And mm-hmm. of course, you know, I make a life here and you you have yep. roots mm-hmm. and it's hard to leave, right? Yep. Once you hear it. Um, truth is that, well, I mean, and that's a unique thing about New England too. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. actually say that like New England, you, you, you put roots on the ground and you stay. A lot of people don't tend to, you know, move away from New England per se. Um, yeah. Unless you're like a, you know, you go to florida for the Mm -hmm. winter you know and stuff like that but you you still come back and i'm listen i i'm okay with it Mm -hmm. would i enjoy a little less snow yeah absolutely (laughs) probably but i'm okay with saying you know what i'm stuck here and that's the reality i'm stuck here and then you get married and then you have kids and you get to get into a community a church and yeah exactly you're trapped yeah (laughs) But yeah. yeah, well, I I would say New England is, it's a really neat community. And it's kind of weird because like New England is a collection of states. So it's, but in each state is unique, but at the same time, they're all, all interconnected. Right. And right. It, I, what's fascinating about New England, especially like Massachusetts, there, a lot of innovation happened, has happened over the past century in Massachusetts, whether it's medical education right. innovation um all the latest educational research and stuff and medical research happens at like mass general and mm. all that kind of stuff so and then all moves out, outward and i work yeah. in well your, well your wife works in special education too she does yeah but i work in special education and a couple of years ago i learned that because one of the places i used to work was one of the first special education schools in america which was in um, Rhode Island called Meeting Street and the Schwartz Center in in, uh, Dartmouth, um, Massachusetts. But they first started out as cerebral palsy schools. And then they basically created the, I don't know, what's the word, schema or the blueprint of like what special education looks like. And that's gone all over the country. So Mm. New England is a cool place. Plus you got the history of, you know, the pilgrims coming here and right. Um, you have all the, I mean, from a Christian perspective, you have, you know, all the pilgrim theology too, that started here, you know, and it's really fascinating, but, um, yeah, anyway, welcome to the fellow traveler. Um, a a question that I always, uh, start my conversations with is, um, the discussion of spiritual heritage. Where do you find your roots spiritually? And I think it's kind of an interesting question because kind of like genetic, um, kind of like genes, how they're passed down to you. Um, there's there's aspects of it that you can't really control um, that you're just born into. And But then as you grow older, I guess it's a little bit different because it's kind of easier to change, um, I guess, your spiritual um, expression or tradition that you grow into it's easier to change but it's still difficult and it's there's still something it all, there's always every tradition that you um evolve yourself with is going to be a part of you in some way shape or form but i'm curious to hear your experience um 
in your what tradition did you grow up in and what experiences within that tradition did you have that kind of rooted you in the faith and kept you in it kept you going yeah so, I mean, you can hear as much or as little as you'd like yeah um so i grew up in puerto rico and the tradition that i grew up on was a pentecostal tradition uh of, of faith and this is uh really up until up until my adulthood that's what i knew church was so um um with that said you know my background in a church community um today it still influences me there are still a lot of things in a pentecostal tradition that i'm like man i just wish this was even part of our church community right now and i think we're moving towards um some of that uh worship expression um certainly um, especially since my brother is one of the worship leaders at faith church um but yeah i grew up in a pentecostal tradition uh uh things like uh uh mission me um and then assemblies of god as well um so i grew up in a church that you know they invited you to be emotionally engaged into the worship and the message and um, this emotional engagement was um visible um you know a lot of the times during worship services our congregants it would not like this would be a typical church you would you would have people with uh um different hand drums and stuff like that and and maracas and and singing worship songs or or what we call coritos um and everybody would be engaged in that worship experience like like and and even in the messages you know it, you would have a very alive and engaging connection between the preacher and the congregation when when the preacher said hallelujah you said hallelujah and 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 you would you would try to match you know his expression toe to toe right like if he was like really intense about it you will intensify your hallelujah as well so uh i i you know i think if i was to highlight some of the things in a pentecostal culture that that really influence me and still do is that engagement emotionally that at times other traditions um tend to disregard or be scared about um but i also think sometimes we we forget that pentecostal church while um and i'm sure we'll get to this a little bit later but you know they value the holy spirit so much and you know what i'm i'm willing to say that at the very least from the the other different traditions that i've seen the pentecostal church probably gives the holy spirit the most attention and more value that other traditions today don't give it yeah i can see i can definitely see that to be true sometimes it's um what i've kind of recognized a lot of times it felt like we were kind of um almost trying to 
invoke God's presence as if he's not already present, you know, and, and do it yeah. a sort of like incantation, you know? Yeah. 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 Like, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, come on. We gotta, we gotta really get into it as if like, there's something more that we have to do to bring God's presence. And you know, that's, it a, is really that's a good way to, that's a good way to do it. Like to provoke and invoke, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that a lot growing up. Like there was this sense of like, Hey, we want the Holy Spirit to be present in this mm. idea of like, you know, of the Holy Spirit manifesting itself in 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 different ways that that you know and and you know we'll get into that, but I think within that there were a lot of just also uh things to deconstruct as I grew mm-hmm. up and, and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah. Well, while you were in that tradition in Puerto Rico, what um, did you feel like you were able to come to a faith, like an individual faith yourself and, and kind of have your own experiences with God that you could take hold of? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll say this, like, you know, my family, we, we grew up in the church. So I, I grew up in the church. In fact, I'm pretty sure I gave my first sermon when I was like seven or eight years old. Like that that happened. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the church and oh yeah, absolutely it was influential. I mean, um, everything from an encouragement to personal disciplines like reading your Bible and being involved in, in serving. Um, those are not things that I learned when I was an adult. Those are things that were rooted in me um and were part of that experience in the, uh, as a as a young kid in in the church in the pentecostal tradition so absolutely yeah can you think of any experiences that you had where you felt like you encountered god in in kind of a mystical way absolutely yeah i'll give you an example and i've shared this uh plenty of times let me just say this prior to to sharing this because this is really cool. I think a lot of times, a lot of people tend to forget that we live in an information era, right? And and science is out there and we have the influence of fiction and all these things. And there are a lot of times that we see moments where we we want to have this, um, we, we, we feel drawn to the idea of like this is just not normal right and and maybe god is at work here but then we try to demystify it or or whatever um but i do believe that god still wants us to encounter him and those encounters are 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 not mythical or anything like that but they're real and and i'll share with you one of them so when i was about probably about 10 years old i want to say let's let's just say under 12 years old at some point there i can recall a moment where my dad was actually um bringing this friend of his who was an addict he was a recovering addict and we were we were driving to his house so that we could bring him to church and it was my dad me and my brother and i recall my dad worried about the fact that there was no gas in the tank and I recall, this is like like a highlight. Yeah, I don't remember, I, and I'm not gonna forget this, but like, and I recall like like me saying, I remember like, 
like, hey, dad, why don't we just pray to God to put gas on the car? Right? And let me tell you, we we prayed. And then with my own eyes, and 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 yes, I was 10 years old, but I promise you, I'm not making things up. Like with my own eyes, I saw the fuel gauge go up. What? And yeah, like like this sounds crazy, right? <clears throat> so so you know, and and I think in the midst of it, you know, I, I can kind of recall the prayer saying, Hey God you know that we are doing a good thing for you. You know that we're bringing somebody that needs to interact with you. And we prayed a very simple prayer. And and I believe with all my heart that God honored that prayer. And I remember my dad just kind of like, like him being a, a, a Christian and a believer, just just shocked. And and we were even just like, even like, like God, you're actually doing this. Like, like there was a little bit of like probably like poor faith within all of us, like thinking like, well, we'll pray, but just like another prayer, this is probably not going to happen, right? But but like we were we prayed for like very specific prayer. God, would you put gas on this car so that we could get to church? And we saw the fuel gauge go up. Like mm-hmm. this is insane. That's so neat. <clears throat> it's crazy, but but hey, I'm. I'm I'm not forgetting this. This is part mm-hmm. of like my DNA. This is part of like something that that nobody can take away from me. Nobody can take away. Nobody can say to me, "Oh, you're making that up." No, this was a personal encounter with something miraculous. Um and that was that was insane. Yeah. And I can tell you one more story. Sure. Which, Go for it. Which I'm still trying to figure out, trying to make sense of it. But and and I'll be honest with you, this one's a little foggier. And and I wish as an adult I had an opportunity to personally uh dissect what I was looking at. So I remember going to this woman's home with this man who was in his deathbed. And I recall this woman showing us some pictures of this man that she had taken. And there's no, like, these are old folks. They are um, they are not living with the technology that we live in today, right? And, and I remember her showing us these photos. And in these photos uh, that she took of this, I believe it was her husband. And again, this is a little bit foggy, but, but in these photos, all the different pictures she was showing me of her, uh, of her husband, they had a bright white dove. Like, and it's, I, part of me feels like it was like coming from the forehead, but, but it's a little foggy. But I remember like we were looking at pictures, like I saw with my own eyes that there was a white bright dove in these photos. Um, that she took of her husband like and of course and, and you know the the white dove is sig signifies like the holy spirit um you know at least that's what we see in scripture as one of the ways that the holy spirit has you know showed itself um so i saw this with my own eyes and i'll be completely honest like you know as far as like some of the details yeah i'm a little bit foggy but you know, as an adult, I think about that often. And I just think to myself, 
I just I just feel like these people did not have access to Photoshop. They they did not have access to Photoshop. So man, yeah. Like I did I really see this? Um did you tell anybody about it at the time? Well, it was, I mean, it, I believe it was my dad, my mom, like we we went over there to visit this family mm-hmm. together. And and I don't think it was like a secret. Like she would show these pictures to a bunch of other people. Oh, part of wow. me, part of me wonders if like my parents back then went over there. Um, as harsh as this sounds, <laughs> for this, for wanting to see these pictures themselves, not the actually guy, the actual guy that was in the stepbed. <laughs> yeah, but who knows? I don't know. But but I just do remember that it wasn't like a secret. Like she was, she had these pictures and she would share with others like check this out like you know the the holy spirit is with him like and there's this picture that captured that wow and i i don't even know how to how to make sense of it i i these old folks they they were poor they didn't look like the people that had connections either Mm. you know like they they i don't think they had photoshop or or computers or access to uh you know anything that would manipulate images mm-hmm. but i but i recall that yeah so those That's are two two moments that i'm like hmm. yeah that that happened i experienced that and 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 you know i believe that there are things that happen in your faith and your faith walk that you just have to marvel about uh you just have to marvel you don't have to understand them um and i know that that's challenging for our science community but mm-hmm. you know, there's just some things that just marvel you and and transcend understanding um and if that wasn't the case then we would definitely have all the answers that science is trying to answer but that's not the case <clears throat> there's still some things that marvel us because they're they're miraculous they're Mm. they're they surpass understanding yeah you know i think i think it's really important though to talk about these kind of experiences yeah and you know that last one that um you told me about it kind of reminds me of like i noticed in a lot of like the eastern christianity and in catholicism too there tends to be like these miracles that happen with icons and stuff like that where like There'll be like an icon of Jesus or something or Mary and yeah. there'll be some sort oh, of yeah. miracle that happens and then everybody comes to see it. It yeah, kind of, it's like, a, it's like a miniature version of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, you it, it's, even still today, you, you have people that celebrate like there was a Virgin Mary sighting in, in this place and now it's become this, you know, this mural or, or mm. place of worship and stuff like that. And yeah, especially in Catholicism, a shrine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and you're not wrong so i you know hearing you say that yeah i, I can see the similarities there mm-hmm. um however i mean i don't know i was 10 years old right yeah. so i don't know what to make of it i i i don't know the background you know really what you're doing right now is making me want to ask my parents questions like yeah hey, you remember you this should. like i kind of want to like mm-hmm. all right let's talk about this for a second do you yeah. remember this i never um, processed so, this right i've never processed this right <laughs> yeah um but but i don't know i mean the, that place become a shrine i don't know i have yeah. no idea well it's kind um, of like a, a micro miracle you know like right. you know 
Well, where, and, and yeah. you almost wonder, like, what was the purpose of that? Like, maybe, you know, I think that's kind of what I was getting to is like a lot of these experiences that we have, they're kind of like little gifts, little nudges from God to be like, um, remember that. And, you know, I kind of think of in the Old Testament, you have the Jews, they would they were all about remembering um, when thing when God did something and they'd set up the uh, I think they call it an Ebenezer or something like that and it yeah. was like a it was like a a monument to remember um, these moments where God did something miraculous for them and like for example the the Jacob's well that's an example right mm -hmm. where where they would bless these places that that mm. they had an encounter with God so yeah I agree you know it kind of bridges bridges the gap for me because i think um as a protestant i was kind of sadly predisposed to be against more of these kind of symbolic and sacramental things yeah. um that like maybe you're like the eastern christians and uh and and catholics are like okay with you know kind of like the more symbols and signs and icons and um um kind of memorializing certain events within within christian history and whatnot it's kind of sad that in a sense some in some ways protestantism kind of like rejected all, all that like symbolism because out yeah. of fear that it was kind of veering too far away from the truth That's, but it's like that, but it's like what do we do with that you know yeah you know what i'm glad that you're 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 saying that because I agree with you too. I think what's happened, I think in, in, you know, we have, oh my goodness, we can't even probably count how many different denominations and 30,000, 30,000, right. Um, and I think a lot of the times, I mean, if you go back to the Protestant Reformation, right. Um, you have this, this new, new divide and you have this, christian faction or, or or you know christian movement of 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 believers that felt compelled to to not just not just allow faith um to be something that is dictated by by a pope or a church but but a call to to engage in the word you know Mm. sola scriptura so you know like they're trying to look for something more pure and and right. it's understandable at the time because at the time there was a lot of wacky things going on in the oh, yeah. roman catholic church that even oh, yeah. even the roman catholics admit you know oh yeah. Um, oh yeah so but what's sad is that it's like throwing away the baby with the bathwater. it's like That's you, it. had, you had 1500 years of tradition that was passed down right and then a lot of stuff got thrown away probably needlessly you know? So here's here's the perfect example of this. You know, I had a conversation with my mom and I was preaching a message about confession. I was preaching a message about confession maybe two to three years ago. And I had a conversation about my mom and I said to her, hey, listen, I am talking about confession. And and then I just had a conversation with her. What? So what are your thoughts about confession? Right. And then she started kind of like asking me questions back. Like, what do you mean? Well, I I confess to God, right? That's what we're supposed to do. And, you know, and then I said, yeah, but you're also supposed to confess to people. And she's like, no, what are you talking about? Like, no, this is not for other people to know. Like my confession is to God because he's the only one that can forgive me. 
And and although part of that is true, God is the one that forgives. Um, people forgive too, right? God God gave us um, those those practices to to also uh, mirror or or you know put in practice. But but also there's actual scriptural references to confessing to one another. Um, and and I actually said, hey, mom. All right, let's read this together. And I showed her like, hey, listen, this is what biblical confession looks like. You see, because when you confess to God, you receive forgiveness. But when you confess to one another, you start moving towards um, health. You start moving towards actually um, being able to, to not only recognize that that there's something that that needs to be you know fixed or there's something that needs to be that you need to make progress for your for your you know working out your salvation every day but 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 this faith thing is supposed to be a, a community and and an engagement together so accountability is part of that um, but here's the thing because here's one of the things that the Catholic Church I do believe still does much better than a lot of protestant churches you know this idea of a priest being able to go to this space and then anyone can come and talk about their 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 sins and there's a priest that says all right let's talk and there's this security and safety that oftentimes is felt um, because of the practice of confession mm-hmm. that that you do there but because we wanted to do de- Right. And because we wanted to de-associate ourselves so much Mm -hmm. from the Catholic Church, we decided we're not going to do that. Yeah. And so that's a perfect example when confession is so important. And 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 maybe maybe your confession doesn't have to be directly to a priest, but it has to be to to somebody Mm -hmm. because you can't, you know, it this this faith thing is it's connection with God, but also walking together as brothers and sisters yeah and 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 obviously confession isn't enough right it's it's repentance which is something that has to be lived out and but it's also something that we're not called to do alone so like say like you you do confess your your sins to a priest or someone who you trust then they give you next steps of like all right Right. well now now let me aid you on your road to the repentance and it's got to go beyond, you know, say three Hail Marys and three are five. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's got to go beyond that, right? Mm-hmm. But but I think that's where that's an example of like how sometimes, you know, we we see these denominations be a little bit scared of, of this practice, mm-hmm. and they just kind of like, all right, let's just completely, like you said, throw the baby mm-hmm. with the. Uh, what was the phrase that you used? Throw the oh, that's an expression in English is yeah. throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, yeah, that's so it. So it's right? like the bathwater is all dirty, so you want to get rid of the bathwater, but then you you toss the baby out the window too. It's like, oh, what yeah. about the baby? Yeah, and I, um, and I think that's so true. But you know, there are so many different examples of that mm. same scenario. Even you know, obviously, I'm a pastor of a church that is uh, its tradition is Baptist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, there are a lot of times that they, they, they can't quite sometimes, uh, they default uh, to probably the Baptist 
ideas or I don't know processes. There's less yeah, flexibility, and, perhaps. Yeah, and even you know, I would go on to say like, you know, like I think I've had the opportunity to not just be in a Pentecost tradition, tradition, but also Baptist tradition, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, to to if I was to say, okay, what are the things that just feel like they just seem to have a hard time merging, right? Mm. And I think Baptists have a hard time with the way that Pentecostals tend to be emotionally mm -hmm. uh, engaged. Yeah. Um, and, and I think um, Pentecostals would say that Baptists may not always seem to be uh, showing a passion for God that they should mm -hmm. um, um, expressed emotionally or expressed uh, practically. And, and I actually think, you know, I, I've, I've been able to, to experience these different traditions and, and also recognize that that's maybe that's not quite the case. And I think sometimes, you know, we forget that just like cultures, we tend to, uh, uh, bring about different flavors uh, of expression so i think you know there are times that i wish my baptist church would be saying hallelujah yep. and raise your hands and jump up and down mm -hmm. but you know my white folks don't always dance there's, yeah there, you know, and you know, that's the reality right so there are cultural my, differences they, right right they're not just they're just they're not just traditions but also cultural differences that that also have a you know they 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 have a say in this so you mm. know, that, so we can't disregard that either um but i will say this you know i think both denominations could use some more interaction because there are things that i wish the baptist church would would recognize more like <clears throat> our our engagement with the holy spirit it's one of them you mm. know i do believe that there's some things that I experienced in the Pentecostal church that as, as I studied and I went to theological school and, and I was able to really um, engage a little bit deeper with scripture. I'm recognizing that, there, yeah, there were some things in, in my Pentecostal um, background that were much more emotionally driven than theological or, 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 or biblically. Mm -hmm. um, um biblically okay mm -hmm. you know, and i think and, and we can't disregard that either so i think yeah yeah you know what's one thing that i struggle with and this is something that i mean I th i'm sure a lot of people have noted this too in why like every protestant church that i've grown up going to why do we only have communion once a month <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> you know what I gotta tell you, I'm, it doesn't make sense. It, I I I cannot agree, but but here is the answer that I do have okay. as a reason. Okay, so communion, I mean, just like the Eucharist. Yeah, but but think about this for a second. Like mm -hmm. you, you know, and I think again, culture has a say in it, right? So, you know, especially in New England, we tend to have we tend to value privacy right and i think when you you don't just we we don't 
we're not comfortable just inviting anybody for dinner, at least not. And, you know, there may be some that are like, you know, they have an open door policy, but that's not the status quo. For the most part, we believe that, you know, having dinner in somebody's house is a very intimate practice, right? Um, and I think part of the reason why I think a lot of churches tend to um, maybe do uh, communion once a month um, is to be sensitive of the fact that not everybody understands this. Not everybody understands what communion is. And, um, and, and the reality is that our church experience on Sunday morning is not just for believers, but also for, for unbelievers to come and experience. So I think that um, when communion is done, you should definitely um, try to try to help the the church community or even the the unbeliever understand what it means because if you don't then there's just no value to it right um so i think i would say that from our church perspective i think we're just sometimes try to be sensitive to the fact that not everybody understands communion um which as an i as i say that out loud um i i'll be honest with you i'm i'm i still have a hard time with that i'm, I'm gonna be honest with you like and like i i think in my mind if i speak for myself all right mm -hmm. i i think i would really enjoy doing communion every single sunday yeah um and i mean scripture says do this as, as often, often as you gather <laughs> as often as you gather right mm -hmm. so and there are churches that do it as often as you gather. Well, and, and not even just, um, I think a lot of times it's like a reaction towards Roman Catholicism, but it's not just, forget even just, um, you know, churches for the, for, for the first 1500 years, even Protestant churches, like the high church, you know, Anglican, right. Episcopal, right. Lutheran, they, they do, yeah. they, they have their Eucharist every, every, um, yeah, every week. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, and and I'm and I'm speaking from from a very limited conversation that we've had as to um, why, what's mm -hmm. the reason and behind it. To be honest, I mean, I grew up even in the Pentecostal church; they did it just like once a month or something yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something that I always, you know, kind of question. Mm -hmm. However, in the last few years, I have questioned it. I'm like, yeah, why, why don't we do this more often? Mm -hmm. Um. How, I would be willing to do it more often. And, and I'm not saying that um, our church is sinning or anything like that for not doing that, but, mm -hmm. but that's a reasonable question. So it is, well, it is um, throughout church history and even in the scriptures, especially it's really fleshed out in the gospel of John, the whole concept of, of the Eucharist, um, the bread that is the body of Christ, the blood, is the the blood of Jesus and its implications and whatnot. It seems to be such a centerpiece, a centerpiece to the Christian faith and Christian expression, this the service, and even going all the way back to, you know, the your churches just in the first century, like meeting in houses when they were persecuted. Well, well a big it, reason it was... why they were persecuted was because they were claiming uh people were claiming that they were eating they were cannibals eating eating people's flesh, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And it didn't seem to bother them, you know? <laughs> right? You no, know? they were okay with being <laughs> yeah. persecuted. You know, 
as I was writing my ordination paper um, prior to getting in, I had to just kind of like, um, and I went to a theological school to learn about the other these things, but in that paper, I had to address that and and kind of my what I believe and all that stuff. Um, you know, I think sometimes, even today, we don't do justice how important and how symbolic and valuable communion can be um because a lot of the times we just think this is just remembering what christ did for us that's true but we're also remembering the hope that lies in front of us and we oftentimes skip skip out on that part that this is not only remembering what happened but also what is to come so yeah yeah, I, you know, it's definitely something I've been grappling with myself. Um, but yeah, I mean, it. I'd love to get deeper into it, but I'd I would also love to hear a little bit more of your story as pertains to like when you came to America. Yeah, because um, I know it is getting a little late, but but like, uh, maybe you could share a little bit how you started getting into ministry, um, in the United States. Sure. So let when did me, you guys move? So we moved when I was uh, 12, 13, turning 13, that spring um, into summer. And um, part of it was um, centered around an attempt for my parents to try to reconcile their broken marriage. And, um, you know, all the way until uh, probably 17 years old. That was a whole mess, um, much messier than what I have time for. But ultimately, uh, I would just say, you know, I, as a teenager, yeah, I didn't, we didn't have, we didn't, we, we, we stopped going to church. We, we didn't go to church as much. Um, there was a lot of tension around the fact that my, my parents were, at times not together or together and there's just a just a lot going on right um and as a result my faith became this um instead of part of my identity it became a tool um and and when you use your faith faith certainly can be a tool um but it's certainly way more than that right um but but as a teenager it just became a tool for me to be selfish <laughs> um so as a teenager i although i never really did struggle with drugs or alcohol or anything like that um i i i was living for myself and i was seeing what the other guys were doing and mimicking some of those practices when it comes to uh the way that they engage with uh with girls so that was that was my sin, and as a result, um, the way that I use God was to show off my knowledge and come across as this guy who was well wiser beyond his teenage years, right? And which which ultimately, you know, I was yeah, I was self centered, using using God as a tool for me to get my way, um, for me to sound very philosophical, 
and 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 stuff like that. So, but you know, I got into this relationship, which ultimately led to this incredible experience with God, where um, I was looking for my ex, and then I driving around, and I was, I had this Christian, and I was still listening to like Christian music, by the way not just all kinds of music, but I was still listening to Christian music. And I had this Christian hip hop uh, album on and I was driving. And literally while I was driving, the the specific track that I was listening to was literally describing exactly what I was doing. Like, you know, you get into your car in the middle of the night and you start looking for her, um, not knowing where you're going, not knowing where she's at, but you start looking for her. and And then... I'm starting to make the connection like, man, this can't be coincidence. And, and all of a sudden I hear the, the chorus that pretty much says, stop looking for her, start looking for me. And, and, and the song was referring to this idea of like, you know, like start looking for God instead of looking for her. Right. And, and that's exactly what I was doing. I was looking for this girl that broke my heart. But all of a sudden, God is saying, you know what? I want you to pay attention to me. Stop looking for her. Start looking for me. And this is, I'm like 18 years old at this point. And I remember that time being just kind of the moment where, where my life started to, that was my Damascus Road moment. That was my uh, moment where I just felt like, God, you're, you're seeking me out. Like, you are legit seeking me out. And 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 I had this moment where I had to recognize, like God, what what do you want from me? And, and you know what? I'm fine. I, I hear you. I'm gonna start paying attention to you. Now I would lie. I would be lying if I said from that moment on I stopped being a womanizer. And I, you know, that wasn't the case. But that was a a pivotal moment where where I felt like I started moving towards discovering this faith that went beyond tradition that was much more personal uh, my dad started pastoring a church and i with very little um instruction was given the opportunity to be a leader because this you know church that my dad planted or started uh the core of it was my family you know we were the musicians we were the participants and that was incredibly valuable my goodness what that did was my dad gave me permission to lead even when I wasn't put all together um, but he gave me permission to lead and in the midst of all of that um, I, I truly believe that God was was purifying me you know helping me recognize like hey you're leading people and you're talking about this and these things that you're preaching you're not practicing and god started purifying me this way like hey you better check yourself before you wreck yourself here because because i want to use you and by the way look at the difference that you're making and all of a sudden we become this church that is made up of teenagers like we had like 50 plus teenagers at times and this was our church community and and i am leading a ministry um you know hands-on with very little resources but but with a lot of passion 
and a lot of um op like a lot of like what's what's the word i'm looking for like um not just a lot of passion but a lot of like intentionality here like i, I was mm. given permission to to lead and like authority i guess authority yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but ultimately i will say this like even in the midst of all that i still hung out with with a crowd of friends that kind of you know led me astray at times and so i was still living somewhat of a double life until the time i decided you know what i need a i need a complete change um in in space so i i decided to transfer from uh middle school middlesex community college to worcester state and that's when i met joe shea and campus ambassadors and that's when my relationship with god became a relationship this this no longer was about me uh performing um and also you know um leading but but actually having a relationship with god and and that's that was a big deal in fact so transformative that i that that all of a sudden i i started recognizing that my my tradition and even my leadership with very little tools but just simply a passion and a heart for christ was still missing uh, a very very key and central aspect of of my faith which was a relationship with god what does it look like to have a relationship with god because here's the thing there are a lot of people that work for jesus but um those people not everybody has a relationship with jesus you know and and Jesus actually says that in scripture. There are a lot of you that say my name, Jesus, Jesus, but a lot of you guys, uh, when when day comes, I'm going to say to you, you know, I don't recognize you mm -hmm. because they, they fail to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, so, and you see that with a lot of leaders today, they could be great church leaders, but their relationship with Jesus is missing. So when I was in college, that's where I learned that what it really truly meant to have a personal relationship with Jesus. And, and absolutely that transformed my life that ultimately led to me recognizing that God wanted me to consider vocational uh, ministry as part of his calling for me. And, you know, I felt the calling in college, I became a campus minister and that ultimately led to me going in, uh, into a seminary Um I was engaged in my local church, Faith Church. Um, there was a position open for, for a pastor of student ministries, and 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 I took it, and I've been there eight years. Um, and it's really cool because all my life I've actually worked with children and students. That's that's literally been my job experience from 14 years old to an adult to today. I've only worked with children and teenagers, you know, and I do believe that those are things that tend to uh, shape your calling. You know, here now as an adult, I recognize that all these experiences working with the YMCA were ultimately leading to the fact that God was asking me to um, take a role in his church to work um, um, 
and, and being influenced um, in reference to that age group. So, yeah. So how's that for a background? That's cool. <laughs> I mean, you, you, um, so you're still the, um, I guess the director of the youth ministries at Faith? Yeah. So my title mm -hmm. is a pastor of student ministries there. Cool. Um, but, you know, I, I, I feel like I should really just throw that title away because <laughs> there's so <laughs> many different things that, that I'm still involved in, but of course I would say that's probably my number one um, mm -hmm. priority is the spiritual um, engagement of our, our young, mm. our next generation. Yeah. 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 And, and there are any notable experiences within that, that have uh, kind of stuck with you and kept you, kept your flame burning, so to speak. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think, it, there's there's something really cool about being able to see a high school student keep their faith beyond high school mm -hmm. right and the reality is is that um that happens less than than, than we'd like it to be <laughs> than we'd like it to um and that pains my heart Mm, yeah and sometimes i even question my my effectiveness right mm. that's that's my job to engage with 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 students and hopefully um be a part of of that um spiritual formation where they recognize that jesus has to be a center of their life beyond high school Mm. Uh, so it pains me because the reality is is that that still doesn't happen as much as we wish and this is a national problem this is a oh yeah um but i am you know just the other day i saw uh how this boy that i that i mentored matt shornier his name oh yeah um, I no, baptized him. I baptized him. Um, I was the one that um, God um, decided to use to 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 let Matt know that He loves him and He wants to use him. And Matt is, you know, a believer. He's been engaged with a Christian radio station, so he can get, he's engaged. Mm -hmm. So I feel like those stories like that definitely keep you going when you see this young man who's uh 20 years old now did not he's 21 his, now 21 yeah, probably yeah 21 yeah he did not leave his faith yeah he stumbled a bit but but ultimately is there and you're seeing him grow and man mm -hmm. that's exciting um but i gotta tell you part of my burning passion right now is it's the fact that I that I heard that I heard even in the midst of uh, having eight years of experience, you know, I have to confront the reality of um, there's something that we still need to do that that we're not doing, and I don't know. Mm. I, we're 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 trying to figure that out right now. I'm actually leading a one year cohort called Growing Young, 
Mm-hmm. And the intention behind that cohort is to um, it's to to help disco- to help churches discover um, how to how to keep young people um, and help young people love and discover the local church. Um, mm. Statistically, you know, and and Fuller Youth Institute really does a really good job with the research on this, but there are a lot of young people that they come back to church after high school once they get married and they have kids. That's mm. when they start coming back to the church. Um, yeah. Which it's really exciting that they'll come back, but what the heck? What happened to their twenties? <laughs> what happened to their twenties? Uh-huh. Um, why why do they feel the need to really um mm. back away from the faith um so much? And I'm not saying like they leave their faith, but they mm-hmm. drift. They drift. Yeah. That's kind of the term, right? They drift. Um I don't want that drift to happen. Mm. Um, I want them to to see the church as a place where in their young adult years still be a place where it'll heavily influence their faith in Jesus. Um, They would feel like they are the church, that they are needed, they're empowered to be Mm. the church. Um, But I think that's, that's exactly the the brick wall that we are trying to demolish Mm. why do they feel the need to explore beyond the church yeah um maybe it's because you know i think something that oh sorry i cut you off (laughs) oh go ahead go ahead yeah go ahead i think something that i will say that i think um faith church does really well is um that you don't draw, we don't draw the lines that um, society draws. You know what I mean? And and ironically, it's kind of led to some people actually leaving in in um, in some ways where I've noticed um, like the line, like I've, especially past three years, they were very political, right? And there's a lot of tension with COVID and whatnot. But what I notice is oftentimes I'd hear you or Matt or Doug say, you know, we're, we are, um we are one body you know we're we're one people it doesn't matter if you're a republican or a democrat you're a liberal or a conservative you know um we're we're still one body of of believers and um and oftentimes we we kind of point out that like the elephant in the room is that yes a lot of us might disagree about certain things where it comes like masks or vaccines or whatever you know all things that really shouldn't divide us but um i think that's something that faith has done well in not um trying to align themselves um and play the game that the world is playing and society's playing you know everybody wants to put you in a box Mm -hmm. (laughs) everybody wants to put you in a box but you know what um we don't we don't serve a party we serve a um a lord jesus (laughs) what what i was gonna say is we we serve a a kingship right we Mm. serve um you know and and 
truth is that you know we we have a responsibility as citizens to engage in our country we shouldn't ignore that mm-hmm. and it, it's okay to be a democrat or a republican but that should not be primary or to the same level as your alliance mm-hmm. uh with with kingship you're not of this word you're not of this world right mm-hmm. um so i think you know I do believe that there are times where we just, because of the political uh, tension and the racial tension, um, we've we've become. Uh, I I I believe this is true. I mean, we become sometimes too overly sensitive. <laughs> like mm, yeah, like every everything's offensive today. <clears throat> like everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and 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 you know what that does. I believe with all my heart that that's tool of the enemy. Oh, yeah. What that does is it eliminates conversation. Mm. And, and 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 when you eliminate conversations, then 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 you create these factions and you create these um, overwhelming uh, tools that that you know of of <clears throat> destruction that divide. And and my goodness. If if there is something that the enemy is going to try to do to eliminate the influence of Christianity, is is divide mm. the church. Yeah, that that's that's yeah that's a pretty good strategy. <laughs> if the church can be divided, then then they're not going to have a good influence because, well, yeah, then you just become like everybody else because the world is divided. Yeah, trying not to be conformed to the world, right? The yeah. world is is functioning more and more on polarization, and it's, it it gives it its its very fuel. But like, if we can be a place that is that is um, the church can be a place that is safe, you know, and and stable, and not wavering, and not um not a place where that is so flippantly changing back and forth, back and forth, or, or being torn to either side or one side. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because there is this, this tension, right? That um, if you really follow Jesus, the outcome is going to look both conservative and it's going to look liberal, depending on how you look at it, you know, right. That's true. Yeah. If you look at, you know, um, yeah, I mean, just just a cursory glance at christian history and you're going to see that um the sexual ethic of christianity is going to look really conservative but then right. you look at um you know matthew 25 and the sermon on the mount well a lot, if you follow a lot of that stuff it's going to look rather liberal or progressive even you know right. um the whole concept of the first will be last the last will be first you know um not loving money not being greedy, you know, um, taking care of the poor, that's going to look liberal. So it's, it's, what's unfortunate is we, we deprive ourselves if we pick one side over the other, because the church and the gospel and the kingdom of God transcends political parties. Oh yeah. Well, it should. Uh, I, I believe with all my heart that although we should talk about uh, the political tensions I don't think it's a I don't think it's wise for a pastor to 
um, to say I'm a Republican or I'm a, you know, a Democrat, because mm-hmm. in doing so, you know, a lot of people that have very, very uh, committed uh, allegiances, allegiances, right? Yeah. And and by by all of a sudden, you know. Uh, sponsoring one party or the other you're all of a sudden potentially alienating half of the people Mm, yeah and that's just not wise you know so i don't think pastors should ever claim to be republican Mm -hmm. or or, and it's okay to participate and and have an opinion but i think it that shouldn't be your strongest voice your strongest Mm -hmm. voice should be your uh, your allegiance to the to to the to to your allegiance to the kingdom of god yeah mm-hmm. not, not to to yeah so mm-hmm. i mean i i personally have always um <clears throat> my political views tend to you know tend to definitely they're a little bit more one thing than the other mm-hmm. right <clears throat> but but i think ultimately my allegiance has to be primarily to <clears throat> to god you know Mm -hmm. and yeah there are a lot of things in my political views that are conservative but then there are a lot of things that i'm just like yeah i kind of agree with the progressive party here but you know i i'm independent Mm -hmm. now you know yeah yeah Yeah. i think you know it's a good place to be yeah you have to kind of have to especially these days it's difficult but but i think you know in terms of what we were talking about which is like young people you know, why are young people leaving? I think they're getting disillusioned, especially with evangelicalism these days, you know, they're well, getting disillusioned by what they're seeing. And that's why it's so important that, you know, I think what's really important too, what's happening at faith too, is, is the action and the involvement in the community. Yeah. Um, that's really important for people to see, like, even, even if it's just as simple as giving kids toys at Christmas or the events that you put on, we put on for, uh, you know, the egg hunt, at the at the local park you know the community sees that or even the fact that pastor doug like he's the chaplain at the local fire station you know right the community sees that has an effect well and i think you know part of our dna and i think this this you know this is kind of where we got the four five away model that we Mm -hmm. use oftentimes you know it's been a while but we, we were convinced that we wanted to be a church that is known for not for what we are against but for what we are for Mm. and that um that has become part of our dna like we we want to be known um as a church that is known not for what we are against but for what we are known because oftentimes i think a lot of churches tend to come across as judgmental Mm -hmm. and uh when you are judgmental you are not um it's the world that i'm looking for you're you're not welcoming you're not uh attractive yeah Mm -hmm. it's easy to be against things but it's harder to be for people right yeah and that takes sacrifice takes laying down time resources privilege you know it's there's a lot that goes into it but so but now you are ordained and Tell me a little, tell me a little about what was going through your mind at, during your ordination time as we come to a close. <laughs> Listen, man, 
that process was so intense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my goodness. Like, so to give you kind of an idea of like the process, like I had to, um, you know, I, I felt, first of all, I was the one that kind of said, all right, you know, I think this would be good. And I think a lot of people see ordination for a title, um, but I think ultimately ordination is, you know, yeah, it's a title, but it's also an, a, a tool to navigate this world that oftentimes requires uh, certain credentials, right? Mm -hmm. So if I can, um, if I can increase my credentials um, so that I can further the gospel, then that's a no brainer. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So now there are a lot of people that sometimes feel like ordination is a waste of time and stuff like that, but I don't think so. I think ordination, you know, provides an opportunity for a minister to have credentials. You know, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of like, um, depending on the field, it's like those, those things that say, you know, you've been proven, like you did your time and and I can trust you with more because you have these credentials. So mm -hmm. I think with that came a lot of sweat and tears. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's a lot of, uh, uh, there was, it was a very humbling experience. Uh, so I wrote my ordination paper, right? And I'm not the best writer. So after writing this, uh, this ordination paper i had to go over it i had to i had to give it to uh, uh, several pastors in my ordination council and they would review it and then we would have several meetings where they would um, question what i wrote down and there were moments where i was just like uh <laughs> so i would have to go back to the drawing board okay so <laughs> I wrote this down, but I can't even explain it. And I don't know if it was a combination of a lack of clarity on my part or, or even just nerves. Nerves, right? yeah. Nerves, right? Um, but I remember, you know, after two meetings, I I was told by my ordination council, you're not ready. You're just not there yet. So I was supposed to get ordained back in 2021. Um, wow. But they pretty much say you're not ready. You're 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 gonna go in front of a bunch of different pastors, and they're gonna chew chew you up. Wow. Uh, so ultimately, what they were doing is they they're actually caring for me. Mm -hmm. They were they were on my team. They didn't want me to be embarrassed. They wanted me to have more clarity and 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 you know they, they I saw at first I was frustrated. I felt mm. like like what the heck? Like I've been working so hard and. And a little bit of, um, there's this part that I've always kind of struggled with, with my past. It's this feeling of not being good enough. Mm. So even in the midst of that process, <clears throat> there was one more person that just felt, or one more people that, that made me feel like maybe I'm not good enough. Right. Mm. Um, but I'm not a kid anymore. I understood where they were coming from, so I, I took the mature route and and decided that this humbling experience, um, God was going to use it, and and yeah. actually it was that resilience that really, um, played a role in the kind mm. of reputation that I started building. 
that I was humble enough to say, all right, listen, yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> I mm -hmm. need to learn a little bit more about this and to get clarity. Yeah. So spend a little bit more time um, really digging deeper, looking yeah. at theological concepts, mm -hmm. going back to papers that I wrote in seminary and, and really dissecting the the words that i even wrote um to the point of getting to that place where my ordination paper is not supposed to invite questions it's supposed to bring clarity yeah. but but it's not supposed to invite questions right mm. um it's so you know and then i went to the ordination council where they would ask me questions about my paper um, but um, the questions that I was asked were much more uh, about experience, experience, mm. experiential uh, practices than than theological knowledge. Mm -hmm. You know, I, and I think that's what the ordination paper does. It 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 solidifies that you understand theological terms and that you have a stance and, and all that stuff but but now they wanted me to they they wanted to test me on the way that i would respond when it comes to practical theology mm. so they asked me questions about they asked me questions about all right so here's this scenario what do you do so if you had a woman um that was raped and oh boy and she and she was considering abortion What's the conversation that you have with her? Oh, so those the those easy are the ones. Those are the questions that I was bombarded with, and wow. this this was three four hours of questions like this. Um, and you know I remember those four hours. They felt like thirty minutes because it was so intense, and I just lost track of time. Little did I know that all of a sudden. It's been four hours. What the heck? Wow. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I was dismissed. They had conversations about me ultimately, you know, share with me that, yeah, I got some work to do. But ultimately they said, yeah, you've done the work. Um, we, we are, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to give our, our, blessing for the church to ordain you so yeah wow i guess it's good that they don't just let anybody you know walk in and be a pastor you know you, well, you have to wise. work for it oh it's yeah, definitely think, wise I for sure absolutely wise i think <clears throat> theology still matters mm -hmm. um testimony matters mm -hmm. um personal discipline matters and these yeah. are all things that mm -hmm. that um certainly weigh heavy um when you are trying to qualify or or give credentials to a minister of the gospel yeah mm -hmm. so um i'm very okay with the practice of ordination still a lot of churches unfortunately their ordination process um pardon my 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 opinion but sometimes churches ordination process are a joke yo yeah yeah i, I believe it and and i think <clears throat> There should be a little bit more seriousness behind this. 
And I'm not saying it just because I had to go through it. <laughs> and I want everybody to go through that fire. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, but you do trust a doctor <clears throat> that has, <throat> you know, that has clocked many hours of experience, mm-hmm. right? Practice, yeah. And has been tested. So I think I think it's reasonable to consider the same thing <clears throat> with ministers. And and here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that everybody should go to seminary and that's God's um, will for you or anything like that, because um, that's not the case, you know, but I think in a world where we live in the information era and there are different ideologies and the devil has created all these different forms of um of ways for Christians to uh, to just be entertained mm. and, and, and <clears throat> instead of focus on the gospel and the mission. Yeah, this is a tool and, and a very valuable tool. You mm. should want your ministers to be educated. Um, so, mm. yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's cool. So thanks for sharing all that. Um, we're going on a trip to... Uh, Puerto Rico this July that I'm very excited about and um I know that we're gonna have to raise some funds so and and you're also also I should mention you're you're a great photographer too Sam was the photographer at me and uh my wife's wedding back in 2016 (laughs) yeah man those were the early years man the early (laughs) years really wow I was saying I've been married for a long time well no 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 but I think you were probably my second or third wedding paid. Really? Oh yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Have you gotten a lot busier since then? Oh yeah. I mean, I could easily make this a full-time job. Um, Really? Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, But I love photography and it's, it's good money for sure, Mm -hmm. but um, I'm not called to be a full-time photographer. Yeah. Yeah. But it is one of the ways that you're raising money, is it not? It is. It is. Yeah, trip. I'm raised. I am. I, I decided that in the spring, I'm going to uh, uh, donate 100% of any money that I make from my photography business for any family or, or individual portrait services. 100% of that money that I make is going to go towards the mission strip because both my wife and I have to raise money for this trip too. Yeah. Even though I'm leading it, I still got to raise support too. So, I mean, I'm I know. in the same boat as all the participants. And so this <laughs> is my way of, you know, engaging with people with an art form that I enjoy and love, but also raise support. So, yeah. Well, if you're in the New England area and you're looking for photography, consider Sam. How, what's, what's your website? smphotos.net. Photos. .net. That's easy enough. Yeah. That's cool. Well, we didn't even talk that much about um campus ambassadors, but I know like we we obviously both have our war stories from there from those times. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, that was super cool. Um but thanks so much for joining me. Sorry we were running so late, but it is what it is. It's been a all great good, conversation. Man. Yeah, all good. Well, and I was you had- planning I was planning on work working out. I'll do a little workout session. I'm not gonna anymore. No, it's okay. This yeah, has been a mental workout. Yeah, a mental um, workout. Thank you so much, Sam. Yeah, you got it. 
Trust, though I'm dying in the dust. 